Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. morning. The first reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I am doing the reading from John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree. Before, Pete, before Philip called you, Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, 
do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Thanks be to God. Recently, when I realized I was going to be preaching the day before Martin Luther King Day, I said, gosh, what's a good Martin Luther King Day sermon? And I stumbled across a resource that said, See as, try as hard as you can to celebrate Martin Luther King Day without quoting, I have a dream or a letter from Birmingham jail. They said, those are the layups. Those are the easy things that we can talk about. Those are the things that are celebrated because we ignore the hundreds of other speeches Martin Luther King gave. So I decided that I would start reading some speeches and try and find one that was different from any of the ones I'd ever heard. And I stumbled across one that oftentimes is never quoted on Martin Luther King Day because it's not a speech that specifically was focusing on civil rights. In fact, it was a speech he gave where people were saying, why on earth are you ruining civil rights by giving this speech? It was a speech that was unusual for him, that threatened him as a civil rights leader. And the reason why it threatened him as a civil rights leader is it went against the war effort. It went against what the government was doing, it went against the war machine, and it was alienating him from the government that he was trying to build bridges with. He risked a lot. And so in this very long message that he gave, he answers a little bit about why he is giving the talk that he gave. So on April 4th at the Riverside Church, Martin Luther King stood before the worshiping assembly and said, And finally, as I try to explain for you and for myself the road that leads from Montgomery to this place, I would have offered all that was most valid if I simply said that I must be true to my conviction, that I share with all men the calling to be the son of the living God, beyond the calling of race or nation or creed, is this vocation of sonship and brotherhood. And because I believe that the Father is deeply concerned, especially for the suffering and helpless and outcast children, I come tonight to speak for them. The outcast children were not the people who he normally labeled as the outcast children. They were the families and the people being bombed and killed at war. He risked alienating all of the government with this speech. But the Lord called to him, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Conviction is at the core heart for all people, I believe, who are Christian, 
when we hear the words, Here I am, Lord. These are the the words that Samuel receives when God calls to him. These are the feelings that we get when we think about the call of Jesus to the disciples. These are the most poignant passages for us if we want to call ourselves disciples and followers because it is about asking ourselves what must we do as a person of faith. These are good stories to examine. And what I find interesting about these two different stories, story one from Samuel is, story, is a story about Samuel who's sleeping. God calls and he runs over. What do you need, Eli? And Eli says, I didn't say anything. He goes back, goes to sleep. Samuel, oh, Eli, he runs back to Eli. What did you need? Then Eli figured it out and said, open yourself to God. What I find interesting is most of the calls to the disciples, it's Jesus says, hey, do you want to be a disciple? And they say, sure, let's go. Samuel struggles with it in a different way. In a way that I believe is meaningful for our lives. The call, God calls each of us. God has a plan for each of us. Each of us are created because we were worth creating. I don't know if that makes sense. But if God is the creator, that meant God took time to create you specifically. That's powerful. God wants you to do something with that. God has a plan for us, but here's the great thing about God. God gives you the ability to ignore it. Think about that. If God made a plan for you and didn't give you the ability to ignore it, that's not very loving. I don't know if that makes sense. But I can build a robot and I can make that robot do whatever I want because it makes my life easier for the robot to do something. That's not love. But for me to create something, to give it the gift, to disagree with me so it can become the fullest that it can be, That is actually loving. The call. God calls each of us and has a plan for each of us. And of course when God calls, we answer, right? We do exactly what God wants us to do. We would never not listen, right? Yeah, we don't listen. It's okay. I want to be clear. Samuel heard the call. It woke him up. He went running to Eli, but didn't hear what the call actually was. What this story brought up to me is this concept of the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is not listening. Oftentimes we say, we hear you. I hear you, right? That means some people use that for understanding, right? They say something, say, well, I hear you. Hearing is not listening. We hear a lot of stuff. Do you know how much stuff we listen to that we don't even realize we're listening to? Or, or, sorry, it's how much stuff we hear that we don't realize that we're hearing. Our brain filters out noise. If there's anyone who's done any sound engineering, maybe somebody in the choir has done that, where you have a microphone, the amount of stuff that a microphone will pick up 
that is noise in the room that you never hear. Because your brain filters out the noise. Hearing is different from listening. Listening goes far beyond the natural hearing process. It means not just having the vibration in the inner ear. It means trying to understand what the other person is saying. An individual's ability to perceive sound is actually receiving vibrations called through the, that are sent through the air, which is called hearing. Listening is a skill. Hearing doesn't take effort. Hearing is physiological. It's something that organisms just do. On the contrary, listening is psychological. It's a conscious act where we actually need to ask ourselves, are we trying to understand what is being said? People, this is where I get in trouble. I started off at one point in communications in college. People encode a message. We have a thought. I have something I want you to hear, and I need to find some way to do that. So I take that thought, which which almost exists just in my head, and I, and I can put it in containers. These containers are called words. And I send them through sound vibrations to Pat. Pat's ears hear those words. She has her own understanding of what those words mean. So she goes to unpack my suitcase but she doesn't necessarily know what I meant by choosing the word that I choose. And then she has a background of experience when she interprets those words. Listening and understanding another person is actually really hard. It takes humility. It takes effort. Hearing involves more than just senses. It, it, it requires actually education and understanding and a desire to seek actually what the other person wants to say. Do any of us ever in our lives, when we hear someone say something, just jump down their throat and after arguing maybe for 10, 15, 20 minutes, 10 years, all of a sudden realize, oh, that's what you meant. Well, I don't disagree with that. It happens. What if, rather than just reacting because we didn't like the word, and right now this happens a lot, especially in colleges. I can't tell you how many times as a student I used a word and the fight became over the definition of the word, not over the concept of what's being talked about. Listening is hard. Toastmasters, I don't know how many people know of Toastmasters. It's a fun organization. They actually have four different classifications of listener. The non-listener, the passive listener, the just listener, and the active listener. The non-listener is totally pre preoccupied with their own thoughts. They hear the sounds, but they don't care. The passive listener hears the words but don't fully understand them. The listener pays attention to the speaker but only intends some, only grasps some of the message, 
where the active listener is focused on the speaker and seeks to understand the meaning of the words without distortion. They actually use the skill and take the time to try and understand what someone else says before disagreeing with them. I don't find many people that actually achieve that level of thought. I, most people I know instantly jump to disagreeing. The active listener, before they disagree, wants to make sure they received the message. Now, in our lives, we can take this to politics. We can take that. I'm assuming some of you may remember the talk about my mother not wanting me to stick my fingers in light sockets. Yeah. How often do parents tell kids to do something and the kid instantly responds by saying, I don't want to do that. They don't take the time to understand, oh, if I don't do it this way, this will happen, then this will happen, this will happen, and it'll actually be more difficult. How many times have parents said to children, you know what, we've been arguing about this for half an hour, it takes two minutes, and you would have had 25 minutes to do what you wanted to do if we had not been arguing about this. We make life more difficult when we don't actually listen and seek to understand. How many times have teachers and role models and other people said, you know, if you do your homework, if you do these little tasks that you're supposed to do, your life will be easier. It is true. There are a lot of really great people in this world offering us advice about things that would make our life easier if we're willing to do them. The simple one that I'm still working on. You know, if you put that away, you'll be able to find it later. If you actually create a place where that thing goes, when you need it next time, you'll know where it is. And for so long, I've been skating off of my memory to remember the chaotic place where I last left something. And you know what? As you get busier and busier and there's more to do and you get less and less sleep and you do that and this, guess what starts to happen? That memory's not there. But if you have a place where you put it, you'll know where it is. But I still struggle with that. Three times God called to Eli or to Samuel. Two times Samuel went running to Eli. And then what did he do right afterwards? He went back to sleep. This is significant. It could have been ten times. It could have been a million times. The number three was chosen for a reason. It represents something. The Lord rises after three days. Lazarus and all these things. The number three is significant. It symbolizes a transformation. It represents change. What that says in our spiritual journey is when God is calling out out to us, we have to change ourselves before we will hear what God is calling us to do. And what happens is periodically we, we hear it. We hear the message. And maybe even for a good solid hour, we're like, yeah, we really need to do that. And then we go running to Eli. It wakes us up, right? We get encouraged. Oh, someone's calling. I have this great idea. We run to Eli. Eli represents kind of the way things, we've been doing things in the past, right? And when we look at the way we do things in the past, 
that excitement about the call is gone. And we go back to sleep. It takes work. How many times do we need to hear the call before we decide to change? It's not three. Three is a representative number. It represents us being willing to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us to be willing to finally do what is right? This is not an unusual concept. So I'm, I'm, Swedenborg talks about this thing, but this is not an unusual concept. Every, everyone who explores faith and religion and life finds this concept. And in the 12-step groups, it's called hitting rock bottom, that moment where you finally get it. In Buddhism, they call it enlightenment. Everywhere in the pursuit of human growth, the concept of the aha moment exists. And when people have it, they'll say, I've known it for so long, I just wasn't listening. I've heard it before. The aha moment isn't necessarily this great insight. Because you, you might go running to someone and say, I finally learned to put stuff back where it belongs and now I can find it. It's really great. I'm like, That's a, I've been doing that for years. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to our life and us doing what God created us to do, each one of us has our own journey. Now when love leads and we're really good, it might be like the call that Jesus gave to the disciples where they just instantly stood up and said, I'm going to follow. And again, I want to reiterate this. There's a movement in the Christian world called the prosperity gospel, which says, if I'm a good enough servant, I'm going to get money and I'm going to live well and I'm going to become famous and I'm going to do all these great and wonderful things. That is not scriptural. The disciples, when they became disciples, did not have a better life if you define it by the things of this world. They lost their families, they lost their homes, and they were killed. Following the Lord means the things that we hold on to in this world may not be valuable to God. But if we let those things of the value of this world lead us, when this world leads, guess what we keep doing? We keep going to sleep. We keep going to sleep. So what does all this listening stuff mean in light of what our reading is today? The non-listener is the person who doesn't really care what God is calling them. When God reaches out to them, because God's reaching out to everyone, good, bad, everyone. When God reaches out, they just don't care. The passive listener might hear it and say, gosh, if I, if I don't do that, life's going to get really a lot more difficult and I certainly don't want life to be difficult. The average listener may hear God's message and say, well, gosh, it's really good to be nice to other people, and I like when other people are nice to me, so I'm going so to do that. The active listener looks for the way that God is calling them from where they are to where they need to go. The active listener studies, takes effort, asks God God, I understand this bad thing is happening to me. How can I use it to transform myself and the world? That 
is what it means when Eli stands up and says, Here I am, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.